Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Every Wednesday at uh, 7 o'clock Mountain Time. So I'm glad you could all be here with me. Um, couple shout outs. <laughs> Kaylor, hey, glad you made it here. Kaylor's Aquatics, good to see you again. Reels Tanks, Chattanooga. <laughs> Chattanooga. That's a little naughtier than we meant. Chattanooga, Ed, welcome. And Mile High Plecos. It's funny, Mile High Plecos, you can, you can smell Plecos, huh? It's like, wait, they're going to talk about Plecos a little bit? I'm there. <laughs> it's your sixth sense. Small Fry, hey, glad you made it. Bracken, uh, is this going to be strictly Pleco talk, or can we talk about other algae eaters too? Oh, we can talk about other algae eaters. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the plecos, and it's not going to take a, a long time. I'm just going to tell you what I'm doing with them. Um, oh, hang on. I've got to get the chat working here. I neglected, totally forgot to do this. Just a second. I'll fix this so we can all see it on the screen, because apparently I didn't. Okay, that should be better. Um, so... I'll tell you what I'm doing with uh, with Mile High's Plecos. It won't take too long. And then uh, and then we can talk about anything aquarium related. Algae eaters, if you want Bracken, that's just fine. Small Fry Aquatics, Dan talks about everything. Yep, I, I meander. I do like to keep it fish focused usually. We don't go on tangents about food too much or anything like that. <laughs> Not a whole lot of talk about tacos or brisket. <laughs> no offense, Corey or Bob. Um, <laughs> Steen fought. Um, but yeah, we can talk about whatever you want, Bracken, as long as it's aquarium related. Um, just one little thing before we get going. If you're new here, then the way we work this is if you have a question or comment that you want me to respond to, please make it at Dan's Fish so that it highlights and you can select it. And um, then I will see it and jump right to it. Feel free to talk amongst yourselves, whatever you want, uh, fish related or not. But uh, if it's a question or comment for me to get to, then if you make sure it highlights so I see it, I'll jump right to it. And uh, that way you'll be sure to get a response. All right, let's get this going. Um, so as you can see behind me, um, this is... This glass is just covered with algae. It's very, very green. And the reason for that is I usually clean the front of that tank uh, on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning so it looks good for the live stream. So once a week or so, I'll scrub it off. And it's been about a week since I've done that. I've got a ton of light on that tank. I have a lot of fish in there. And the plants aren't uh, booming right now. They're kind of regenerating after I killed most of them off with some salt. So what that means is there's a lot of nutrients in this tank back here for algae to consume and a ton of light for it to uh, play with. So uh, once a week, I have to scrub that tank off. If I go two weeks, it'll be so green on the front that you can't even see into the tank at all, really. So instead of scrubbing it off this week, I've been planning on moving, um, I got three L182s from Mile High Plecos, thanks again, Mikey, um, and got them when they were, I don't know how big they were, inch, inch and a half, they were little guys, maybe a little bigger than that, and they've grown up quite a bit in a 75-gallon tank that I've had, 
And so I've been planning on moving them now here for the rest of their grow out because there's a lot of algae and stuff in here. And I think they'll really like this aquarium and it's a warmer aquarium too. And finally I decided this was the week to do it. So instead of scrubbing all that algae off the front of the glass, I left it and I just moved them in there a few hours ago. So I left it there because that's gonna be awesome food for them. It'll help them settle into their new aquarium and just have stuff to munch on and, and kind of relieve the stress of having to find food. It'll give them an instant food source that they can just go right to while they're learning their way around that aquarium. So that's what it is. Um, I took a little video today, I'll take one tomorrow and we'll see how many days it takes them to clean off the front of that glass and how well they do. And that's kind of what I'm doing with those uh, starlight plecos. I call them starry night plecos. I know that's wrong. Starry nights of Van Gogh painting. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, that's that's the pleco thing that that that's the reason that glass is all covered in algae. Um, like it normally is before each live stream before I scrub it down. Now, what's going to happen eventually is as these plants grow back in, um, they'll start sucking up enough nutrients that I won't get as much algae as, as quickly. But as the plants are kind of reestablishing and, and aren't uh, at, full, at full whack, as they say, um, on the British baking show, I love that. I turned that oven up on full whack. <laughs> um, there's a lot of excess nutrients. Now I do have, um, a three Siamese algae eaters in there that are adults and big and eat a ton of algae, but the tank just produces so dang much algae that they can't quite keep up on it. And Siamese algae eaters, true Siamese algae eaters, what I found is they're probably one of the best algae eating fish out there, but they aren't necessarily good at, at, at cleaning glass. What you'll see if you look really closely here, you won't be able to see it, um, where the camera is, but if you get up close to the glass, you'll see tons of little spots where they've eaten the algae off of it, but they, they don't clean it off smoothly. They pick a spot, move to another spot, pick there. And so what I think they're really good at, they have a tiny little kind of mouth that's really um, can move and, and get into little cracks and things. I think they're really good Siamese algae eaters at eating algae off of plants, little cracks and crevices and, and nooks and crannies and stuff like that. They can get in there and, and get all that stuff. But a, a big sheet of glass, they don't necessarily clean it like, like an algae scraper would or a razor blade or a scrubby cloth or something like that. So I think they're a really valuable algae eater, but not necessarily that good at uh, cleaning a pane of glass off in my experience. So that's kind of what's going on with uh, why that tank looks so darn murky. <laughs> the water's clear. The water's great. It's just growing on the, the surfaces, on the, on the glass and stuff. But yeah, we've got 40 watching. Welcome, everybody. Glad you are here. Hello, Bob Kaler saying hi and it highlighted. So I saw it. Good example, Bob. Um, so Bracken... If you want to talk about other algae eaters, uh, go at it. Give me a question or comment. Let me know what you would like to talk about, and we'll do that. All righty. 
Small Fry Aquatics, shipping FP Gardener for the first time, temps at source and destination are in the 50s, heat pack or no? Um, so that gets a little tricky. That's a great question. I generally use heat packs until nighttime temperatures stay in the 60s. But it's tricky this time of year and in the fall when it starts to cool down, but it's not so cold are the tricky times with heat packs because you don't want to overheat the box. And I've heard things like, well, a heat pack will keep the box 20 degrees warmer than the air outside and all that. And I think that's totally unreliable. I think it depends on how much air is getting to the heat pack. Have you wrapped it in newspaper so oxygen exchange is more slow so it doesn't get as hot as fast? Um, how much insulation you have? Is that box gonna be kept? Um, is it gonna be in a building? Or is it gonna be out on a truck? You know, you have no idea. You, you have no way of knowing exactly how that box will be cared for. Is it gonna be somewhere that's heated because humans work there? Or is it gonna be packed onto a truck and then left overnight for the morning run? out in the cold, you know, you have no idea. It's hard to tell. How much water volume do you have? The more water you have in the box, the less quickly the temperature will fluctuate. But what I've found, um, small fry aquatics is, if I use heat packs until the weather is in the 60s at night, the coolest temperature roughly, that tends to work okay for me. But what I do is I cut down on the number of heat packs and their intensity. So. In the winter, I, if it's a big enough box, I'll use two heat packs, um, say a 72 hour and a 40 hour. And that'll create quite a lot of heat in, in the box. And I'll usually only wrap them maybe one or two layers thick of newspaper. So they have a good oxygen exchange. Um, if this time of year I cut down, so I'll only send two 40 hour heat packs in a big box or one 72 hour heat pack in a big box. It depends on where it's going. My goal is while it's cold here in Wyoming, it's super hot in like Texas or Florida or other places. So my goal is to put in a, a heat pack that doesn't last as long. And, and hopefully what happens is the heat is warm while it's in my area, but as it leaves my area and goes to the warmer areas, it stops, it, it kind of curves down and stops generating as much heat. So what I find is generally a, a 40 hour heat pack works pretty well this time of year. And I'll wrap it in a couple layers of newspaper. Um, first of all, that helps it function. So it's not flat on a styrofoam or, or plastic surface and which would cut off air exchange completely to the heat pack and it wouldn't work without oxygen but the other thing it does is it makes it so that air is exchanged a little more slowly than if the heat pack was just uh, exposed directly to the atmospheric air and so the heat pack won't get as hot and it'll last a little longer but be cooler so i do small fry i would use one in that situation but i would use a small one and wrap it a few times in newspapers so it doesn't get as much oxygen transfer. Now you can't wrap it in so much that it gets no oxygen transfer because then it will, uh, once that transfer cuts off, it kind of, the heat pack kind of dies and it turns into that hard kind of rock thing where it's no longer gonna work. So, mm -hmm. it, but it is a little messy. It's, it's this time of year is a little risky and you don't use one to get too cold, they get sick. You do use one, they get too hot, they get cooked. So 
between the extremes of too hot and too cold, I would choose too cold. So I wouldn't use a big heat pack or anything like that. So I guess that's the ultimate, the ultimate thing. If you're like, hey, this would get too hot and cook it versus they'll get a little chilly. Chili's the way to go, I suppose, if those are the two extremes. But I think you're fine in the 50s. I, I think you're fine using heat pack still. Chewy LTD, happy belated Easter, Dan. Thank you. It was great. We had fun. Um, we had a lot of rain on Easter, so we did our Easter egg hunt with the kids the day before on Saturday. And the kids are old enough now that they they uh, aren't as concerned about things like the Easter bunny and stuff. And so we did a hunt for them and then they wanted to do one for us, which was really fun. So they made a bunch of eggs and hid them. So my wife and I <laughs> went out and hunted them and it was fun. It was like being a kid again. 44 Mad Guy 1. Hey, what's up? Not much. What's up with you, Mad Guy? Anyway, good to see you. Glad you're here. 60 watching. Woo! For this little channel, 59. Uh, that is good. Thanks everybody for being here. All right, um, I'm going to take a quick break before I get to more comments, just to remind everyone that I'm going to be speaking at Grand Valley Aquarium Club. Here's the info all right here. Um, it's going to be at 7 p.m. on Saturday, May 11th at, uh, what's that, Frontline Community Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So here's the info, or you can go to grandvalleyaquariumclub.org and uh, search that up on Google and get all the information too. So if you're in that area and you can make it to that meeting, I would love to see you. I'm coming in Friday night, really late Friday night, like, like around midnight or so. So I won't be able to like hang out or anything Friday. I'm going to be super tired and, and uh, just go hit my hotel. But Saturday, I'm going to have a little time. So if you're in that area and you have uh, a fish room and you don't mind me coming and seeing it and taking some videos so we can do some tours for the channel and things, I would love to do that. So if you would contact me, dan at dansfish.com, if you're in the Re Grand Rapids, Michigan area, um, and it would be okay to go take a tour of your stuff, that would be awesome. Um, or if you can't do that, but you can make it to the meeting, that would be great too. Maybe after the meeting, we could talk, catch up, go grab a drink or something, um, and, uh, be able to meet some of you in person. So anyway, if you can make it, that's uh, May 11th, I'll be talking about killifish and, uh, how, what their habitats are like and how that's kind of influenced their, uh, reproductive strategies. Cause killifish have amazing reproductive strategies. Everything from pretty normal stuff like male and female, let's go lay an egg to stranger stuff like let's bury an egg in, in mud and it'll survive drying out and then it'll hatch again when it rains to really bizarre stuff, which is I'm a hermaphrodite and I'm just going to clone myself. So lots of interesting reproductive uh, strategies in the killifish. Anyway, uh, let's get back to the questions and comments. And just a reminder, 64 watching. Welcome, everyone. Glad you're here. Uh, if you're if it's your first time or you've forgotten, if you have a question or comment for me, um, make it at symbol Dan's fish. So it selects and highlights and I'll jump right to it. If you have trouble and it and I keep ignoring your comment, it, it's not because I'm ignoring you. It's because I'm, I'm not seeing it. 
In which case, if you bring it to a mod's attention, uh, they'll call my attention to it. Uh, the highlighting doesn't always work on like an Android phone and some other stuff like that. Robert P. Hey, good to see you. What is a Pleco for colder temps, 68 to 74 ish? Um, so Robert, I am not a Pleco expert, but what I do know is some of the ancestral species, some of the bushy nose out of Uruguay would be great down there. I've got friends that uh, go down to Uruguay every now and then and collect fish and they'll actually collect fish uh, out of water that has a thin sheet of ice over it. And I spent uh, quite a lot of time down in Argentina, not Uruguay itself, but uh, kind of in the, the same region, if you will. And it snows sometimes, it gets cold down there. So anything from Uruguay would probably be just fine. That being said, I'm not sure exactly which ancestral species, which bushy knows those are. Um, someone in here that knows more about that specifically, if you could chime in and let Robert P know which plecos would be best for cooler temperatures, I would appreciate it. I just know some of the ancestors can take it down to pretty much freezing. And it's interesting, uh, they, would, they collected some bushy-nosed plecos, they collected some tetras in that water, they collected killifish, uh, what was it, Astrolebius nigropinus was one of them, they collected some geophagus, or gymnogeophagus perhaps, from that water. So there's, you know, we always think of these species as being warm water, but once you get, there's a lot of areas down there, it's a big, big continent. And there's a lot of areas down there where it does get cooler. So, Robert, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't say much more than that about it just because I'm not that familiar with plecos. I'm not really an expert on them. But I bet Mile High could chime in there and some other folks here that keep them. Um, hey, Candy made it. Awesome. Hey, Candy, glad you're here. Good to see you. So good to see you. Um, <laughs> by the way, I, I didn't make it up to Billings on Monday because the order was canceled again. So that's two in a row. So I went ahead and ordered from another supplier this week um, and I'm gonna get some pretty cool stuff in. I'm gonna get some Aplicylus Dei in, which is one of my favorite killifish. I, I had them a while ago. I still have one lone male, <laughs> but I, I haven't put them up for sale because it's one male. So. Um, I think I'm going to be getting about a hundred of those in, so I should have some pairs for sale. Getting some of the uh, Black Tiger Dario. I'm not getting a lot of them. I really like Dario, but they're pretty little hate machines. Um, if anyone's into Nine Inch Nails. Um, they, um, they're a beautiful, neat little nanofish, but they're so hard on each other that, uh, uh, they, they can be just a little difficult to keep and they're there. It's a struggle to get them onto flake food and frozen food. Or, I mean, flake food and dried food live and frozen is pretty much what you have to do. At least in my experience. So I did get some black tiger Dario's just cause they're so neat, but I only got a few, I think like 50 of them or so, which for me is a few, um, because, because they're, <laughs> They're, they're difficult little buggers in my situation, which is I like fish where I can put, you know, a few hundred fish in a single aquarium and then I can sell them out of there. With some of these species, like I'll have to spread these little tiger darios over. Maybe I can fit a dozen in each tank and kind of spread them out um, and they'll be fine that way. 
but I can't put a few hundred Dario in one tank and expect everyone to get along. They'll, they'll just harass each other and it's no good. So I got some of those. Um, I got some Epistos. I'm, I'm not going to say what they are right now. You have to wait for the unboxing that I, I'm pretty excited about them. And, uh, what else? Oh, a rhinogobius species, which I've never had before. This particular species of rhinogobius, it, it's not the normal wooey or duosphilus or whatever it's called now. Um, white cheek. It's not one of those. It's a different rhinogobius and it's not going to be cheap. They're very rare. They're hard to get, but I am going to get some. So um, second week in a row got shorted. So I had to go with another supplier, unfortunately, but I'm hoping this Monday that the order will come in and <laughs> we'll be back to normal. It's It sucks trying to run a, a fish store, uh, you know, sell fish when you're running out of inventory. So <laughs> the fish tank barn at Dan's Fish, thanks for the awesome fish. They came in great. Hey, I'm glad to hear it, Mike. Thanks so much for ordering them and uh, hope you enjoy them and get a ton of babies. If those endlers don't I, I mean, I'm pretty darn sure that they're going to breed true, but it's only in the last generation or so that they've really started doing that. So if they breed for you and the babies don't raise up true, let me know and I'll, uh, I'll send you another pair from a, a more, from, I've got batches growing up now and each batch gets a little more true, a little more true, but I think you'll be good. I think you should have, you know, 90% plus that breed out true, but it's such a newly established strain for me that I just want to make sure that you get good stuff basically. But uh, just, just let me know if there's any problem with that strain is what I'm saying. You're the uh, fourth person I've sent those to. So um, I've still, I'm still waiting on feedback from others on how, on how they breed out. For me, they're breeding out okay, but I just want to make sure. Terry's Tropical Tanks at Dan's Fish. The gudgeons and thread fins arrived today. Nice job packing individually. Hey, glad they arrived. Thanks for letting me know. Um, every box that I sent out this week, and it was a ton of boxes, has arrived except for one, I believe. So uh, one's still on its way to Texas, but I believe everything else arrived. Um, and I'm thinking of, I'm not sure about this, but I'm thinking of maybe taking the express shipment option off the store because the priority is arriving in about the same time as the express. Um, I think I sent four boxes express this week. The rest were all priority. One of them arrived yesterday, but all the other boxes priority and express arrived today. So if, if you want to order express, go ahead. You can pay the extra and I'll ship it express, but do be aware that the priority is almost as fast. So it might be worth saving your money and just shipping priority. Um, Chewy LT, but it's glad to hear that, Terry. And uh, Mike, that the fish came in well. Thanks for letting me know. V-Stag, you who forgot the like, hit the like. All right, so anyone that wants to, if you wouldn't mind taking a minute to like this, share this, subscribe, hit the notification bell, all that stuff. You're invited to, should you desire. Thanks, VStag, for the uh, reminder. VStag, the VBot. <laughs> Chewy LTD. Okay, Chiatostoma milesi, the rubber mouth pleco, is a great algae eater but prefers cooler water. 
but I find it is great at cleaning glass. Okay, cool. That's good to know. Thanks for sharing, uh, Chewy, that the uh, rubber mouth Pleco might be one that would work for you um, for, for Robert P., who was asking about that. Oh, Blackwater, I'm sorry, I missed your comment. At Dance Fish, I got my Cochinas today. Cool, they are beautiful. Thank you very much. Never seen better packaging. Thank you. What's the best temperature for these fish? So a uh, better Cochina don't need it super hot. I'm keeping mine in the mid 70s and they're doing great. Most of the wild type bettas come from these streams that don't get direct sunlight. Um, better Cochina, kind of swampy, slower moving water because they're a bubble nester usually. Um, but most of the wild type bettas, maybe it's a little different for Embellus and Smartadina and Mahakai and uh, stuff like that. But once you get into the really black water stuff like Cochina and in well, most of the wild type bettas really, um, there's so much forest over them that they don't get a lot of direct sunlight. And often they come from areas of water where the water's moving. And so the moving water evaporates pretty quickly and it cools down the water and there isn't direct sunlight on it to, to keep it really hot. So a lot of wild type bettas like it cooler than we're used to keeping our, um, you know, betta splendens, our normal domestic type bettas. Those guys have been domesticated and bred and kept in, in hot, hot temperatures for so many generations that they do best, you know, mid eighties is great for them. But Cochina, mid seventies will be just fine. They have a fairly wide tolerance though, because Cochina are kind of like the, the rivulous killifish of their area. They live in these areas where at certain times of the year, it's pretty much dry. It's really deep leaf litter that stays damp and they can live in that. But for part of the year, it's very, very possible that Beta Cochina will find themselves in a situation where they're in this deep kind of leaf litter that has maybe very little standing water, or maybe it's just damp for a little while until it rains again. So um, in those situations, it can get maybe a little warmer because there isn't the, as much evaporative cooling. So they have quite a tolerance, but mid seventies is great for them, Blackwater. And I'm glad to hear that the Beta Cochina made it. They really are doing great. Um, they're a super delicate species. If they are not uh, acclimated a certain way when they're first imported, but once they've landed and recovered, I found them to be pretty much a rock solid fish. Um, watch ammonia. They hate ammonia. They just simply don't encounter it in their natural habitat because the water's too acidic to, uh, to contain ammonia. The, the ammonia is converted into ammonium in their natural habitat. In nitrites, same thing. In nitrates, I uh, keep fairly low as well. But if you keep the water clean, they're going to do great. They're eating flakes for me. Um, they started eating pellets really well for me as well. So they're, they're doing great. I hope they do well for you. Maybe you get some babies. I don't know. Um, but I hope so. Alrighty. Uh, chat jumped on me. So sorry. 67 watching. Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome for us. Okay. I'm finding where we are because chat jumped. Here we are. Bathy Phila. 
Do you ever hear of anyone breeding Pandagaras? No, I do not believe, and I could be wrong about this. Um, I could be, but I don't think Pandagaras are bred in captivity, or if they are, that they're bred naturally in captivity. I believe that the way that they're bred on farms and things is through the use of hormone injections, just like uh, other fish that are really difficult to breed, like clown loaches and red tail sharks and all that stuff. So are they, anyone breeding them? Not truly, not like an aquarist has them in their aquarium and is breeding them. Now, I could be wrong about that, um, but my understanding, I've never heard of anyone breeding them in captivity. And I, I, if they are being bred on the farms and things, it's, there's an art, they're doing it artificially. That's, now I haven't gone to the farm and asked the farmer, is that what's happening? But from what I've read and from the price point and from the locations that are available and all that, that's what I'm gathering, Bathyphila, is that they're being bred on farms, um, but through the use of hormones. If anyone knows different, please chime in and correct me because, uh, again, this is just stuff I've gathered. I haven't been to the farm to see it myself. Reels Tanks at Dance Fish. Why do my angelfish breed when they hear your voice? Well, just call me Barry White. Lady! <laughs> I got koi angelfish breeding right now. Well, yeah, what can I say? <laughs> what can I say? I wish I could say like, well, I'm a relationship counselor or something like that, but I'm not. I'm just a guy that apparently tickles angelfish just right. Kaylor's Aquatics. Want a t-shirt? Here you go. Thanks, Kaylor. Um, yeah, we got Dance Fish t-shirts out there if you want. If you're looking for a cool Facebook group, and I really mean like a cool drama-free Facebook group, uh, the Get Gills Facebook group is doing great. You're welcome to join us. Um, and if you have fish to sell or you want to buy fish online, getgills.com is a great place for you to list your fish for sale or to go look at other hobbyists and buy fish from them. Um, Bathy Phila, is the rhinogobius a freshwater spawner? Yes. In fact, I'd have to look into this, but I think most of the rhinogobius are freshwater spawners. Um, it's the stiffodons and things that spawn in fresh water and then the babies develop out in the ocean. I'd have to look again. I'd have to look up this specific species to tell you the truth, Bathyphila. But from when I got deep into rhinogobius a few years ago, if I'm remembering right, I think they pretty much in general are a freshwater spawner. Um, but it's been a while. Ugh. I'd have to look this one up, Bathyphila, to tell you for certain. But my gut, remembering everything I read and about them a while ago and stuff, is that they're freshwater. Tech Turtle, sorry I'm late. Well, to the principal's office with you. Tardiness shall not be tolerated. <laughs> Welcome, Tech Turtle. I'm glad you made it. Um, the Fish Tank Barn. I'll let you know how they turn out. Okay, sounds good. He's talking about the babies of some, uh, some fish I sent him. It's a new line that I think is well-established, but I want to make sure that because they're not cheap, that anyone that gets them um, is, is happy with the results. If not, I'll make it right. 44 mag guy one. I mean, I just have no way. I'll get to you in a second. I just have, I can't test breed each pair and raise the fry and see how they turn out before I sell them, right? So I'm thinking everything's good, but it's always a little bit of a gamble. 44 mag guy one at Dance Fish. The fish order from you are supposed to arrive tomorrow. I am so excited. Oh, are you the, 
You're the one package that hasn't made it yet. <laughs> oh man. Well, good for you. I, I hope they arrive well. Just let me know when they arrive, how they how they look. But yep, it's always exciting getting fish online in the mail. It's it's fun. I don't know. I love it too. Whenever I get fish online, I'm like it's like Christmas when that box comes and I get to open it up and. I mean, if everything goes well, then it's like Christmas. If it doesn't, then it's like, I don't know, Halloween. I don't know. I like Halloween. <laughs> then it's bad. <laughs> Halloween ain't bad. Hydro Guy Aquatics. I was so, I was looking online at guppies and I was so confused by the blue tail red eye albino guppy. How can it be a blue but albino? Any input to help with the confusion? Man, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm striking out completely tonight, but Hydro Guy, I'm not. Uh, I don't know why. I, I guess one thing is that some, okay, so there's, there's a difference between iridescence and pigment. In fish, you have pigment, right? Which goes away with albinism, some of it fish have more pigments than you and I. So we just have, what is it? Melanin, melatonin, um, melanin, right? And so if we're lacking melanin, we're albino. There's only one pigment, but there's other animals like fish, uh, snakes, things like that. They have more than one pigment. So um, let me, this is going to be a little weird, but let me talk about snakes real quick. Cause it's pretty easy. There's pretty much three pigments. There's melanin and then there's a red pigment and a yellow pigment. Um, I forget the names of them exactly. It's been a little while, but so if, if you can be an albino as a snake and not have any melanin, but you can still have yellow and red, or you can be an albino because you're missing red, pig, red pigment, but still have black pigment. So albinism is just the lack of a pigment, but when you have more than one pigment, <laughs> for lack of a better term, um, you can be missing that one and still retain the others. So that's one thing to, to understand. The other thing is iridescence, which doesn't have so much to do with pigment. It has to do with just uh, iridescence with light reflection, which pigment has to do with as well. I get that. But um, it's how, oh man, how to explain this? I, I, I never like got this deep into art class, right? But basically or they called eratophores. Um, there's these little cells which maybe don't have pigment in them so much, but are reflective and will reflect light different ways. So that's about all I can talk about at Hydro Guy Aquatics because I'm not like the guppy nerd, which is, you know, for years, like bred all these different guppies and seeks all their rare strains and knows all the inheritance packages of if you cross this and this and what's dominant and subdominant and co-dominant and recessive and, and all that stuff. So, um, so I can't go too deep into it. I wish I could, but, but it probably helps to understand that there's several pigments in fish and there's also the iridescence. And so you can have missing one thing and have others that you still see. Um, Tech Turtle. I, I'm sure I explained that horribly and I'm sorry, but um, yeah, I'm not as versed in that as I am in other things. Tech Turtle. Um, oh, 
saying hi to a bunch of people, including me. Well, hello again. <laughs> Marsh Aquatics. At Dancefish, there allegedly is a guy in India that breeds pandagaras outside. There might be. Cool. Good to know. Um, I suppose if you live somewhere that has conditions similar to pandagaras' natural habitat, that if you put them outside, then they would be breeding more or less naturally, right? That, that makes sense to me. Um, that makes sense. My thinking is, though, that the that most of them are either wild caught or probably uh, bred with injections. But there might be a few every now and then that, that are doing that. That makes sense to me. Um, okay. Bathyphila at Dan's Fish. While we're on the topic of gobies, <laughs> we were when you typed it. <laughs> I'm always behind in the chat, everybody. Um, it's just how we roll here. I, I find it more interesting to read a comment and talk about it for a while than to constantly be at the end of the chat trying to respond in real time, because then I can go a little more in depth and be a little more, you know, relaxed about it. So that's just how we roll here. Um, what were the type of gobies? Do you ever have the opportunity to get desert gobies in? Yes. So I've had desert gobies and I've spawned them here in this fish room. They're cool fish and I might try them again. They did okay for me. Like, like I said, I spawned them and everything, but they didn't seem as happy as I would want them to be. And I think it has something to do with my really soft water. So they're probably not a species that I'll be getting again anytime soon. I'm worried that, that they don't, that the soft water might have been a little too much for them. Um, there are some, because I've, I've had those fish in hard water when I lived in Los Angeles and things, and they acted uh, a lot more kind of robust and colorful and active and things like that. So I don't know for sure if it was my water or if there was something else going on. So I don't know, maybe it'd be worth trying them again sometime, but they didn't thrive for me here like I expected they would. And so I've been a little trigger shy about getting them again. Just like, it's just like African cichlids, right? Or the Florida flagfish. Um, I can keep African cichlids and I can keep, I'm talking Rift Lake, like hard water cichlids. And I can keep a uh, Florida flagfish and things. And I can even spawn them and grow them and things. But I just, I'm a little hesitant um, to to do that just because uh, I, I, I worry about keeping them in my, my water. It's just, it's just super soft. So, but I'd like desert gobies, um, super easy to keep, super easy to breed, not picky eaters, peaceful. I mean, they'll spar a little bit and stuff, but they're a fun, full of personality little gobies. So I probably won't be getting them in again anytime soon. But um, if you have a chance to get them, they're a great fish to have. I, I think they're awesome. And in general, I found them to be really hardy. They come from a, a wide range of environments and temperatures and things like that. So they're pretty adaptable fish. 44 Mad Guy 1, thanks will do. All right. You're welcome and thank you. Chewy LTD. Albinism is the lack of black pigment in the animal, 
blue comes from the erratophore, so that's the iridescence, that is tied to the blue scale, which is unaffected by the mutation albinism. Okay, cool. So there you have it. So um, even though it's lacking pigment, it's still got the erratophores for the uh, shininess, the iridescence, if you will. Okay, cool. I mean, that's kind of where I was going a little bit, but um, I think Chewy explained it a lot more succinctly <laughs> than I did. So thank you. Bracken, what would be easier to breed with Celebes rainbows in the same tank? Okay, peacock gudgeons or rosy loaches? Uh, peacock gudgeons, for sure. I'm working on getting the plants more dense, and I'll be using mops for the rainbows. I think peacock gudgeons. Um, the reason I say that is probably because I can't stop spawning them. Whereas I've never, um, well, I've never kept rosy loaches, so I have no idea how easy they would be to spawn, but most loach species are a little challenging to spawn and the babies are really teeny, 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 tiny and stuff like that. So my gut instinct to, is to say that with Celebes rainbows, I would do peacock gudgeons. Um, the rainbows will kind of be mid-water, upper, upper level and uh, spawn in the mops. And then if you have a few PVC pipes that you cut into like three inch sections, maybe three quarter inch PVC pipe, cut it into three inch sections. If you have uh, six fish, six peacock gudgeons, then throw seven of them in there. So there's everyone has one plus plus a spare, just in case. And uh, I can't stop the peacock gudgeons from spawning. If they're fed well and things, they just spawn and spawn and spawn. So that's what I would say. Now, the peacock gudgeons, you're probably going to need to remove the eggs or the babies to raise them up but they'll definitely spawn in that tank with the Celebes rainbows for sure. Um, my peacock gudgeons are in with uh, platinum half beaks and there's a random female guppy in there. And until today, there were the um, starlight plecos in there as well and they spawn all the time. So, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at Candy's uh, <laughs> super caps here. <laughs> it was just someone else. Okay, never mind. Um, Bracken. Oh, just read that. Yeah, so that's that's my take on it, Bracken. Um, everyone's setup's different. Everyone's experience is different. So maybe someone here is like, hell no, rosy loaches are super easy and they raise their own babies and, uh, you know, all that. But I've never bred ro rosy loaches. I've never even kept them. In fact, they were one of the species I was really excited about getting in this week because I've never had them. Um, and then the order didn't arrive. So I tried again. I ordered, uh, I think 200 more and I'll see if, or 500 more. I can't remember. I ordered a few hundred more and we'll see if they come Monday or not. I hope so. Okay. Marsh Aquatics at Dancefish. Any plans on bringing any new rainbows, quarries or plecos in on upcoming shipments. So I've been struggling with this, um, thinking about this. There's a few plecos um, and Lord Caridae type, you know, fish that every week are, they aren't always available every week, but whenever they're available, I'm always like, oh man, maybe I should. And then I shy away. And the reason I shy away is because I look at what other, before I order a fish, I look at what other people are selling it for. And then I see if what my price is versus what it's being sold for, if I can sell it and if it makes sense to buy it. If, 
if I buy it for a dollar and everyone else is selling it for a dollar 25, it doesn't make sense for me to get that fish. If I buy it for a dollar and everyone's selling it for a hundred dollars, then it would make a ton of sense to get that fish, right? That'd be an amazing profit margin. Not that that's ever the case, but um, so my issue is I'm not bringing the, if I imported fish directly from Peru or Colombia, like on my own import license, um, which I brought fish in on my own import license before. But if I did that, then it might make financial sense to bring in some of those quarries and plecos and stuff. But as it stands, the suppliers I can get them from and the quantities I have to get them in, um, there's not enough wiggle room in the margin versus what other people are selling plecos and things for, for me to do it. I simply would lose money on them. So, I mean, most of the people selling those are importing pretty much directly. And when they do that, there's they get them for a lot less than I can get them for. And I'm just not ready to do like a multi-thousand dollar, well, multi-thousand fish order of plecos so I can order directly from Colombia or Peru. Um, so plecos are probably out for me just because if I got them, I'd have to sell them for a lot more than other people are selling them for. And then I wouldn't sell them because people would get them from the other suppliers because they'd be cheaper. So um, there's a little wiggle room. I mean, I do take the time and care to get the fish healthy before I sell them. Um, I'll never knowingly send a, a sick fish. I always, the fish, when I sell them, to the best of my knowledge, are fully acclimated and healthy and robust and recovered and all that. So I don't, sometimes I will get something to sell for a little bit more than other people because I've done the work and you're going to get healthy fish that thrive, at least I hope. Um, but but that's a tiny bit. I can't sell, if someone's selling a fish for a dollar, I can't sell it for 10 right? It just doesn't make sense. And that's kind of the boat I would be in for plecos. For quarries, I like quarries a lot, but I've tried probably a dozen different species of quarries um, over the last year and a half, two years, and they just don't sell very well. It's really hard for me to move quarries. So um, I've got quarries that I bought a year and a half ago and they still haven't sold. So I ended up just taking them down about a month ago and being like, well, I don't want to sell them now because they're old and I don't want to sell people, you know, fish that aren't going to have as much life expectancy as possible. And uh, so I just kept them. So now they're just in my tanks and they'll live our, their life here. So every now and then I'm tempted to get some like Corridors Equus. Uh, Weitzman Eye has been available that I could get. Um, there's been some cool species, but I'd have to sell them for so darn much. And I've, I just have some trouble moving quarries. So probably not uh, marsh aquatics on the uh, plecos or quarries. For rainbows, um, I just released uh, some Pseudomugil luminatus, which was used to be called Pascai. It's a beautiful little blue eye. Um, so those are you know new for me to be selling. They're not new to the hobby. They're fairly new to the hobby. So that's one that's for sale. I've got some, I've got several blue eyes for sale. I've got some Meloton, uh, Melanotania sungur, which I don't know of anyone else that's selling that fish. That's a hard rainbow fish to find. Um, and I've got 
access to a couple wild Melanotania. Um, Ogiblis, Ogiblii, I think is how you say it, and um, Rubrostriata. So I could bring those in. The problem is they're really expensive. So unless someone is like really interested in them and wants to get a group of them, then it's it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to get them because when you have to sell a fish for 30 to 40 bucks each, then oftentimes they don't end up moving very quickly. So Marsh, if you're interested in, in those wild angelfish, um, or angelfish, I'm sorry, rainbow fish, let me know. I can order them for you. They're not cheap, but I, I can do it. Um, but yeah, all those fish that you just talked about for the, what I can get them for every time I can get them in a good quantity at a price that makes sense, I'll do it. But that's few and far between when that happens. I have to be real careful. Um, if I get, I don't know, let's talk a really common Erian red rainbows, for example. Yeah. I've had them in the past cause I like them and I've sold them, but it takes a long time to sell them and I end up losing money on those fish. So yeah. Um, Bathyphila, thanks for the Gobi info. I have quite hard water. They like hard water, so that's good. And have been looking for desert gobies at a decent price. Yeah, get them. If you have hard water, they're awesome. And they can take it from upper 60s to like mid 80s. They have a big wide range. They're really tolerant fish. When you were working with rhino gobies before, did you have luck breeding them? Yeah. Um, in my experience, they breed all the time. So just feed them well and those females will fatten up and, and they'll breed frequently. So yes, I find them to breed well. Um, there are a few species of rhinogobius that you almost want to offer like a cool down period because they're from a more temperate area. And then once they warm back up, then they'll kick off the spawning season. Um, but yeah, they, they breed and they're, they're pretty good size eggs and things. They aren't super difficult. Um, now I was never in a position when they bred to like remove the fry and raise big batches or anything like that. But I don't think it would be difficult to do that, but they spawned on the regular. Yes. Um, all right. Koi dragon aquatics. Well, Hey, good to hear from you. The funnel of Panchax gardener I received from you a while back made fry. All right, good. I just let them be and the eggs hatch naturally in my tank. Good stuff. Yeah, they'll do that. I mean, you'll just have babies appear and get a little colony going. And I think what you're going to find is you'll get a bunch of babies. They'll grow up. They'll get to about three quarters of an inch or so. And then you won't see any new fry for a while because <laughs> the older babies will just be hammering them and eating them, but then they'll get big and a new batch will start up. So that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that they're breeding for you. One of my favorite fish ever Fundable Panjax Gardener. It's beautiful. It's hardy. It's prolific and easy to breed, and it's often available. So that's a really, really good one. I'm glad to hear that. Bathyphila, I'll be watching for when you list the rhinogobius. Cool. Um, they're going to get here Friday. So hopefully two weeks from Friday, if all goes well, they'll be listed and ready to go. Um, just a warning, they're a pricey fish. Uh, not because not I want them to be pricey, but because they cost me a lot of money. <laughs> so that's awesome. Um, all right, cool. So besides Koi Dragon Aquatics, what has everyone else got going breeding wise? What are you raising? What spawns have you had? What you got going on in your fish rooms? 
I'm always interested in hearing about that. Oh, and I want to tell you guys about what we are doing, um, what we ordered for. Hang on real quick. Let me find it. What I'm hoping comes in on uh, Monday. So give me half a second. I will. Oh, shoot. I clicked the wrong tab. Sorry. Doing this live. Trying to find files live is never fun. <laughs> okay, here it is. So Rosie Loaches, um, Rainbow Gobies, which I think is probably Stiffidon Ornatus, but I won't know for sure till it comes. Trying to get the Clown Killies again. Um, Celebes Rainbows, just because I like them and I haven't had them for a while. Boraris Brigitte, the Chili Rasbora, still trying. Um, more of the Aplicylus blockii. Oh, I have a story about the Aplicylus blockii. I'll tell you in just a second. Um, Gymnogeophagus uh, balzani, which is from Uruguay and Paraguay. It's one of those uh, mouth brooding cichlids that can take cooler temperatures. Rosy bitterlings, rombo barbs, Aplicylus panchax, another killifish I just haven't had in a while. Some uwaru cichlids. Um, trying to get some more Geophagus wine milleri in and trying to get some honeycomb catfish or oil cats in, depending on what you call them. So that's what is on the docket for Monday. But again, the last two weeks, the order has been just completely zeroed. I've gotten nothing. So we'll see. So a word of warning about wild type bettas. So I had a whole bunch of Aplicylus blockii, a great little surface dwelling killifish in an aquarium. Um, and I thought that they would get along great with the betabellica. And I looked at the little betabellica and I was like, okay, they'll be fine. <laughs> Those betabellica, their mouths are deceptively big. <laughs> I did not think that they could eat the Aplicylus blockii. I was wrong. I came back in the fish room the next morning, checked on them, and I had... No more Aplicylus blockii. Actually, I had three left. And all the Betabellica were super fat and happy and loving life. So just a word of warning. Um, such a noob mistake. I was so embarrassed. In fact, I don't even know why I'm telling you guys this. This is embarrassing. But I guess it's because I don't want you to do the same mistake. Um, yeah, I, they have deceptively large mouths. It was not fun. <laughs> so you would think that I would know better. Every now and then a fish surprises me and I think they'll get along just great and they don't. So <laughs> that's what happened to all the, all the Aplicylus blockii. And so what really was horrible is I had to, uh, I think I had like six orders of Aplicylus blockii. And, you know, people usually get three or four pairs when they get a pair of those. So I had to contact all those people and be like, I'm an idiot. Here's what happened. I'm so sorry. I've refunded your money. I, just sorry. Like, I don't know what else to say. I hate doing that. Whenever I have to cancel an order because I'm dumb. Oh, that's the worst. It's just the worst. Anyway, learn from my pain. Just be a little careful about that. Aquatacy. Hey, good to see you. I'm enjoying your videos and stuff. Uh, great to see you here, Aquatacy. Got lots of happy fish, but not breeding currently. All right. 
well, we'll get there, right? Bathyphila still got limiotridins. Cool. Producing some offspring. That's great. That's, it's just not a really uh, easy fish to find. So I'm glad to hear that they're breeding for you. And my Xenotoka doodrai females are showing distinct gravid spots. Awesome. Yeah, if you can get those Xenotoka going, that's a beautiful fish that we need to get more widespread for sure. And, uh, you know, those Gidaids just need to be preserved. So that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. That's cool. Those are two cool live bearers that we need to get more of them out there. Bathyphila, also waiting for the weather to get a bit warmer so I can move my Aphanius mento outside in a tub. Yeah, although, um, I, yeah, it's maybe a little early. Those Aphanius are another one, though, that can take it really, really cold. Now, it's probably not good to take them from a warm fish room and put them right in a cold pond. I mean, you'd want to take a week or two to get them gradually down in temperature and then put them in there. But they're going to be fine in the 60s, maybe even the 50s. Um, if I remember right, they might even do okay with ice over the water. But I'd have to look into it again. But I think that's a great choice, Bathyphila, for outside because they can take it pretty darn cold and they can also take it really hot. I mean, the environments they come from, it's the Middle East, right? It's these really harsh desert environments where it might be super hot during the day and then at cold, it might be super cold just because at cold, hot in the day, cold at night. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> hot in the day, cold in the cold. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I can't wait to hear how they go for you. That was one of the first killifish, actually one of the first egg layers that I ever, ever bred was a Phaneus mento. So those have a special place in my heart. They're just a fun little fish. So much attitude though, for like an inch long fish. They have so much attitude. They're little bulldogs. 65 watching. All right. Glad you're all here still. Um, here we go. Chewy LTD. Been doing a lot of studying on the dwarf channa. Oh man, I wish I could have some. It's funny. Any fish we can't have, we're all like, wish I could have it. But if it was a common fish, we'd be like, yeah, we're funny like that. But anyway, uh, studying the dwarf channa species, have you heard of any releases of CIDES releasing the possibility of having shipped farmed Asian arowanas being available in the USA? Um, no, I haven't heard of any updates that that's uh, in the process or anywhere closer than it has been. That being said, it's not something I've been tracking closely at all. So it could be happening and I'm not even aware of it. Aquatici sounds like a lot of great species, hopefully coming in for you. Yeah, I'm excited about it. We'll see if they make it this time. Cindy, 425. I have dwarf Victorian mouth breeders. Cool. One holding the other spit fry two days ago. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. That's that's fun. That is fun, fun, fun. Um, if anyone here has not yet kept mouth brooding cichlids, or mouth brooding bettas or mouth brooding gouramis, um, you owe it to yourself once in your life to see that behavior. It's pretty darn cool. Cheshire cat, just have four platy fry, so cute. Hey, that's awesome. They're getting their spots, and, and you're in college, right? So you got like a dorm room or something. Any babies is great when you're in college. I remember how busy college was. They're getting their spots and I swear one is tinted more orange than the others. I'm in the process of adding more plants and wood now. Cool. Yeah, little platies. 
like I like I say every now and then, every now and then I'm just like, you know what? I'm getting me some platies because they're going to be hardy. They're going to be fun and easy to breed and colorful. They're not delicate at all. So <laughs> every now and then I'm just like, I want some platies. Real stinks. I got some eggs from Rainbow Cichlids. Cool. From the pair I got from Kaler's Aquatic Store on Get Gills. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome to hear that uh, you got the fish from Kaler's Aquatics in good shape and they're already spawning for you. And that's a beautiful fish. They are, well, they're called rainbow cichlids for a reason. Dance fish, fish would eat or be eaten. Well, yeah, in my tanks. <laughs> in my tanks, apparently they get eaten. Aquatici, I enjoy your videos as well. Well, thank you. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you watch my stuff. That's awesome. Carbon, really? Hello, Dance Fish. Hello, everyone. Hey, Carbon. Glad you made it. Welcome. Glad to see you again. Well, here's someone new, at least that I don't recognize. Neo Fishbowl. Neo Fishbowl, if you've been here the entire time for like years and are like, hey, I comment every time, then forgive me. But if you're new, which I think you are, then welcome. Glad you're here. Hey, Dance Fish, I just got Funnel Panchex Gardener at Klasenai location. Got some eggs. How can you tell good eggs from bad eggs? Um, Bad eggs basically will be white and fuzzy. So they'll basically look like they're just going moldy. These long, white, fuzzy things will come out of them. Uh, that's pretty much how you tell. Any egg that is clear or slightly amber colored is probably good. Or if they're a little bit older, you'll start seeing the embryo develop in there. You'll start seeing little spots where the eyes are going to be, a little bit of pigment in there. but if it's like cloudy white on the outside of the egg and you can't see kind of through the egg or into the egg, then it's probably not a good egg. What I would do if I had those is whatever container you're keeping them, them in, whether you're water incubating them or incubating them on like peat moss or, or ground coconut fiber or whatever, is I would try to keep them a little bit apart from each other. It's a lot easier on peat moss and, and coconut fiber, but that way if one egg does we call it fungus, but basically, you know, become a, <laughs> a cesspool of disease and bacteria and just disintegrate. Um, it's less likely to transfer to the eggs surrounding it. So that's the great advantage of peat moss is you can keep the eggs kind of separate. So if one goes down, it's not touching other eggs that, because if it is touching them, the bacteria and fungus, it's really bacteria, I think, but whatever it is, it'll just spread to all the other eggs. But that's how you tell. Um, depending on the temperature, two to three weeks, you should be able to wet those and, and get some babies. I hope they do well for you. Terry's Tropical Tanks at Dance Fish. I have about 50 Celebes fry. Awesome. So Celebes, we call them Celebes rainbows. They're really a silver side. Pretty small when they hatch and seem to be growing slowly. Yeah, in, in true, uh, true rainbow fishish style, right? <laughs> Well, that's awesome. But 50 fry, though, that's a good batch. You're going to get a nice group out of that. Aquatici, which killifish would go well with African dwarf frogs? Not that I'm scheming up a new tank or anything. Oh. That's a tough one because they have to be big enough that the African dwarf frogs won't be able to eat them. But small enough and of a temperament that they won't pick on the African dwarf frogs. My best, my best guess for that, and this is totally a guess, Aquatici, 
um, would be one of the lamp eyes. Maybe a Procatopus species. A lot of the other species, I think a lot of your Aphiosimians and definitely your Aplicylus, um, your Nothos, your, yeah, most of the other ones, I think those frogs' little legs are going to be too tempting. Like that little leg will be moving and wiggling, and I think the fish will just like, you know, grab it. Even if it's not big enough to eat the frog, it'll be very interested, I think, in, in those little legs moving around. That's my fear. I've never kept killifish with African dwarf frogs. So, so I'm guessing here, but I bet most species might pick on the frogs just because those legs are going to be awful tempting. I think your best bet is like a Procatopus species, but it's a guess. I've never tried it. Anyone here, if you've ever kept killies with uh, African dwarf frogs, please chime in so we can help Aquatacy out better than I can by myself, because that's just not a setup I've done. Um, 66 watching, booyah, Cheshire Cat. Yes, I'm in college going on six or seven years now. It's all right, I was in college for 10 years. And then I became a fishmonger. <laughs> it's silly. I, I, so I spent all this time like getting all these degrees and grad school and all that stuff so that I could, you know, be in academia. And then I just couldn't, the fish kept calling. Like, like I've always liked them, but I would find myself wanting to do that more than anything else. I'd be at my job and all I wanted to do was be back home working on the fish and all. And so eventually I was just like, man, I got to stop ignoring this. I'm just going to do this. So, yep. Went to college for 10 years so I could own a fish store. <laughs> um, continuing with Cheshire Cat. She's in college six or seven years. I have a campus apartment and pay for my own room and bathroom. Cool. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Not the dorm style. 12 people per bathroom or 12. 30 people per bathroom, more like it. Anyway, cool. Glad to hear. And I'm glad you get to keep fish there. That's awesome. Um, a lot of campuses don't let you do that. Or if they do, you know, it's like they'll allow a beta bowl or something, but that's it. Kaylor throwing down 25 bucks. Hashtag no more professor. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you modding. I appreciate all you do for us in this community and all you do for me personally with the super chats. Uh, Never required, always appreciated, and makes the wife super happy. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, Chewy LTD. The Lake Tanganyika killifish may work with the African dwarf frogs. Yeah, but they get six inches and so or more. And so I think that the Lamprichthys tanganyikanus uh, might, might eat the frogs. Um, that's my guess. Uh, again, never tried it, Chewy, but I've kept Lamprichthys. And I've kept the frogs, never kept them together. But the Lamprichthys get big enough that I think they might be like, hmm, frog legs. Cheshire cat accidentally pressed send. I suspect one platy may have gill flukes. Oh, no. Another might be sick. Oh, no. Once I figure that out, I hope to get coolie loaches. They're one of my most wanted. It's funny. Coolie loaches, either you, either you love them or they give you the heebie-jeebies. I love them. But there's a lot of people that are like, ah, coolie loach. They like freak them out. Hey, we got some more super chats. Thanks, everybody. Let's take a look at that. 
not to ignore the super chats. Tampa Tom, 199. Yeah, no more professor. Thanks. Appreciate it, Tampa. Glad you're here instead of on your wheels. Thanks for making it. Um, Small Fry Aquatics, your bottle of Patreon is getting low, so I'll give you $9.99. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yep. The Patreon thing, I know for a while there, everyone was doing it. I never got on the bandwagon. I'm not quite sure why. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And I, I have no plans to do it, honestly. I just, I mean, I guess, I guess what it was, was every time I watched a video and people were like, and here's my Patreon, it was basically like, I don't know, I felt, how do I, how do I describe this? I kind of felt like they were like begging for money or like made me feel like I should be giving them money or something, or I'm not quite sure. It, it made me feel awkward when I would watch videos and, and people would be like, and here's my Patreon. Cause I already like know that if, if I want to, I know I can shop at their store or I can uh, send them a super chat or I can send them a check, anything like that. So for me, it was always a little weird. And I, I, I guess so many people did it at once that it started to feel like the whole used car salesman thing to me. Like you walk in, it's like, shoo, here, dude, buy this, buy this, buy this. Like it was like, here's my Patreon. Here's my Patreon. Well, here's my Patreon. Well, my Patreon. And I, I just, I don't know. It got a little weird for me. Now, Geez, now I just offended everyone that has Patreon. That's not my intention. It's just every now and then someone uh, asks me, why don't you have a Patreon or says, you should get a Patreon. And I just have this visceral reaction of like, I, I just it doesn't feel right to me for some reason. But thanks for the super chat, 999. Sorry for the tangent. <laughs> I can't help it. Um, 62 watching. Thanks for being here, everybody. That's not bad at all. Okay, Marsh Aquatics. Can all killifish eggs be water incubated? No. Or do some need to be peat and then flood method? So um, the short answer is no. Annual species need to be dried. Non-annual species need to be water incubated. And semi-annual species, you can do either. Now, that's the short answer. The real answer is almost all species can be incubated on peat moss. But it's very difficult to water incubate annual species eggs. Now it has been done. There are articles that have come out in JACA, which is the uh, Journal of the American Killifish Association, where in like a lab setting, they've been able to manipulate the environment to such an extent where they can get annual eggs to develop in water, in a lab setting. But for a hobbyist like you and I, um, the practical answer is no, they need to be peat incubated. So if the fish comes from a place where it's an obligate annual spawner, meaning that fish's environment is going to dry up. These are Nothobronchius. These are um, a lot of the, I don't know, Astrolebius, Sinolebius, Scriptolebius, all the South American uh, annual species. Then you would behoove yourself to go ahead and dry them out. And moist peat moss is kind of the best way to do that, in my opinion. Now, the non-annual species, though, like all the aphiosimians I'm aware of, all the chrome aphiosimians, like the bivitatums and stuff like that, those can all be incubated on peat moss. There might be a species or two out there, some type of like, I don't know, I can't think of one, but there may be a species 
or two of some type of obscure killifish that can't be pea-incubated, um, but most of them can. So, yeah. But annual species definitely need to be undergo a dry period. Uh, unless you're in a lab, and that's not, that's not us. Aquatacy. Thanks. Perhaps I'll forego the killies. Um, African dwarf frogs are the focus. Again, not that I'm scheming a new tank. I swear I'm not. Don't say anything to my wife. <laughs> we'll all uh, look for that video coming up, Aquatacy, the uh, African dwarf frog video that apparently is going to happen, but we won't tell your wife. <laughs> um, oh, here's candy. At Aquatacy, you don't want anything that will outcompete the frogs for food. They're kind of derpy. Yeah, when, yeah, they're not the best at like competing for food for sure. You know, which makes me think that like a platinum half beak would probably be great because they stay at the top. They really don't go down. They don't compete for food uh, except for the very top level. I mean, every now and then one will go down and grab something. They're too small to bother the frogs. I, I suppose the, they might be skinny enough that a frog could swallow them, though. Nah, so I don't know. I don't know. I've never kept African dwarf frogs with any anything just because of the fear that they wouldn't get along. So I really don't have the experience to give you a good answer. Um, Cheshire Cat, her college apartment allows tanks up to 20 gallons. Awesome. Don't tell them I have a 25. Oh, yeah, they don't know. <laughs> they, <laughs> I, I lived in an apartment once where I could have, I forget what it was, maybe a 40-gallon tank. And I had a 90 in there, and they didn't know. They, they can't tell. Kids Aquatics, sometimes I felt like I'm watching a solicitous televangelist. Yeah, on the Patreon thing. Yeah, something something like that. Um, I suppose if you have a Patreon, that's great. You know, if it's in your description or it's mentioned at the top of the video, just, you know, I've got this, this, here's my Patreon. Uh, then, then that's fine. But I was getting the hard sell, I felt like. Uh, just too many times in a row. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aquatacy. I feel the same way about Patreon. I never want to come across as begging or worse yet that I'm holding back content. Pay the ransom and you get to see it. I changed my Patreon drastically. Yeah. It's just, again, I mean, for those that have it and it's working for you, that's great. Um, that's awesome. I, I don't want to bad talk it or bad talk you for using it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying for me, it just, it felt wrong. So I didn't do it. All right. Well, we've reached the bottom of the chat. We've been going for over an hour now. So um, this is the point in the live stream where I say, if you have a question or comment, leave it now in the next minute or so, and we'll get to it. Um, otherwise, we'll probably shut this down pretty quick here. Because again, once you reach the bottom of the chat, sometimes I'll watch people live streaming and they'll get down there and, and then it's a lot of this. you know, why we wait for a question or comment or worst is like, come on guys, ask a question. Nobody's asking a question. Like there's that too. Like a live stream, every live stream has its, I feel like its own natural, uh, longevity. And, <laughs> and once you've reached the bottom of the chat and nothing else is coming in, it's kind of like the live stream is telling you, I think we're done. <laughs> That's always the worst. So ask questions, guys. What do you want to talk about? I'm always just like, oh. <laughs> um, 
So that being said, we're going to go ahead and shut this down. But before, oh wait, hang on, got one more. Chitches 2010, didn't know you did live streams. My Peacock Gobies get in tomorrow and excited. Oh, I guess there's two boxes out there still then. Cool. Any recommendations for food? Um, the Peacock Gudgeons are eating everything. So I feed flake food. Personally, I'm feeding the Cobalt brand flake food. I feed uh, PE Mysis pellets. Um, I'm feeding HBH flake. I'm feeding HBH pellets. I'm also feeding uh, frozen brine shrimp, frozen blood worms, live scuds. They don't do fruit flies a lot. They'll occasionally get one, but fruit flies float. And so the peacock gudgeons don't get them much. That's more for the half beaks. Um, so they'll eat pretty much everything. They'll even like chew up some rapashi. So I think they're going to eat pretty much anything you give them. They're, they've, they've been used to it so long that flakes, pellets, frozen live, they're, they're all over it. I think you're going to be just fine. The one thing I will say, and this is not for you specifically, but in general, I think oftentimes when we get new fish in, we're really worried about them because they haven't eaten for a few days and we want to fatten them up and we feel good when they eat, right? Because then it's like, okay, good. It's like, I don't know. It's like a parent with their kid. It's like, you're not eating? What's wrong? Like, we want them to eat because it's a sign that everything's good. With with brand newly arrived fish, I feel like, yes, go ahead and try to feed them the first day if you want, but make it very little. I feel like often when we first get fish in, because we want them so badly to eat and recover and be good, um, we feed too much. And since they're not used to where they're at and not used to to the food itself sometimes, if it's a different brand or different type of food or whatever, and not used to where the food enters the tank and how the food flows through the current and where they need to be to get it and all that stuff, <clears throat> a lot of that food uh, won't be eaten. It'll, it'll just waste in the tank and, and create problems. So I just encourage everybody, when you have a brand new fish, resist the urge to like put in a ton of food so it gets a little bit. Feed just a little bit, and uh, after a few days, the fish will be used to the tank enough to come out and look for the food. It'll get used to the food and start eating more, and, and you'll get the fish eating just fine without overdoing it, because then you can get an ammonia spike, and then you have real problems. So just, I don't know why that popped in my head, but I, I guess because we're talking about new fish and feeding them. Um, yeah. Oh, I missed one. Sorry about that. Uh, where was it? 44 Mag Guy, what do you think of naming pet fish? Oh, I think it's great. Yeah, go for it. You know, everybody's got a different relationship with, with their animals, and especially fish. Like, dogs and cats you generally name, right? Um, usually birds and stuff like that, too. But it's funny, when we get away from, like, fluffiness, feathers and fur then we're less likely to. So like people that keep reptiles, some people name them, some don't. Great. Um, fish, same thing. Some people name them, some don't. Um, like look at Rachel O'Leary, right? She has tons of fish. She's only named a few of them. She's got Sid Vicious, the Betta. She's got Captain Cranky Pants, the um, Oscar, and a few other fish that she's named. But because those are like more pet-like to her, I, I'm, I can't speak for Rachel, but you know, some of them are more like pets and some of them are more like, I don't know, it's, 
what are they decorate? They're not decorations. They're living things, but I don't know how to describe it, but I think it depends on your relationship with the fish. If, if to you, that fish is a pet, then name it. If to you, that fish is, how do I describe it without demeaning my relationship with my fish? I don't generally name my fish, but it's not because I don't respect them or care about them. It's just, I don't see them so much as a, a pet, like that kind of relationship as something that's ornamental and beautiful. Um, but I still respect them. I, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, name the fish. Go ahead if you want. Aquatacy, thank you for the live stream today. It was glad to be able to jump in before it was over. Glad you were here. Okay, I'll get the last couple. There's three more. I'll get them and then we'll shut this down. Saying good night, Tech Turtle. Cool. Killers Aquatics, <laughs> the 186 element. How do I donate to your Patreon? Oh, thanks, Bob. I don't even have one set up. Um, I figure that if people want to support me, there's always super chats and there's always the store. And um, if you don't like super chatting or you uh, don't need anything at getgills.com or dancefish.com, then spreading the word and just uh, being part of the community is enough for me. So I don't have a Patreon, so you can't donate it to it. <laughs> But uh, as Bob always says, send money and candy. <laughs> I love that when Bob says that. Aquatic, see, I totally agree about naming fish. I did a whole video about it. Oh, I missed that one. Some fish have personalities and are just screaming out to be named. Yeah, like your larger cichlids, they're probably going to want to be named. Your school of neon tetras, I don't know, that's 50 different tetras that you can't tell apart. I don't know. Um, Bathyphil, a natural exhibit, that might be a way to describe it. 44 Magi, thanks for the answers in the great live stream. Well, you're welcome on that. Let's shut it down. First, I want to thank my mods because they work hard to keep this stream uh, legit. <laughs> keep everything flowing smoothly. Really appreciate you guys. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Candy. Um, Lumpy Dog and 54 Punchy, thanks as well. I know you guys come whenever you can, and I appreciate it. Um, everyone that super chatted, thank you. It's never required, but it is always appreciated. And it does really help, by the way. Um, so it's not just like, oh, thanks. I mean, it's like, it sincerely helps. Every little bit helps in this business. So I appreciate it very much. Everyone that participated, chatted among yourselves, helped other people with questions and answers and made this a richer experience, thank you. And as always, all you lurkers, I feel ya. Until next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, I hope you all have a great week. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.